Welcome to the Association of Insurance Compliance Professionals podcast. AICP serves the insurance compliance community by promoting relationships, exchanging information, and providing learning opportunities within a dynamic regulatory environment. You're listening to Market Conduct with your host, Cheryl Davis, who currently leads the state exam management team responsible for handling all state regulatory exam requests for the nationwide insurance group. Cheryl also serves as vice chair of the Insurance Regulatory Examiners Society Foundation Board and holds the AMCM, ALMI, AIRC, and ACS designations. We are excited to welcome today's guest, Holly Blanchard. Holly is the president of Regulatory Insurance Advisors, LLC, a consulting firm specializing in insurance regulatory matters and enterprise risk management. Holly formed RIA in January 2016, along with her partner, Peter Williams. In her role, Holly provides services for state and federal regulators and insurance carriers and oversees a team of dynamic individuals that provide exceptional regulatory guidance and consulting for their clients. And now, here's your host, Cheryl Davis. Well, first, this is Cheryl Davis. I'd like to start by thanking AICP for the opportunity to do this podcast on market conduct. I'd also like to thank Holly Blanchard for joining me today. We're going to get right into some Q&A. And so thank you again, Holly. Our first question is on how are insurance companies regulated? Hi, Cheryl. Thank you for that question. So insurance companies are regulated at the state level. So each state has an insurance department or Department of Insurance that oversees how they operate in the marketplace. And then there's some federal involvement, but for the most part, most of the regulation falls directly to the states. Thanks, Holly. And can you tell us a little bit more about where market conduct fits into that Department of Insurance lens? Yeah, absolutely. So regulators are really focused on a couple different things. They're focused on financial regulation, and market conduct. So market conduct really is everything that is not financial. So it's how a company operates. It's how they treat their policyholders. It's how they write policies. It's just basically their day-to-day operations and making sure that they are meeting all the requirements of the statutes, that they're just being good players in the, in the industry, and also you know that they're doing the right things. Can you tell us more about what market conduct examiners review? I can. So again, there are two different kind of lenses of regulation. There's a financial lens where they're looking at everything from a financial perspective and to make sure that companies are solvent and that they have appropriate reserving. Market conduct looks at everything that is not that. So market conduct really focuses on company operations and management, um, policyholder services, underwriting processes and procedures, claims. They focus on like fraud, anything like that how companies oversee their third-party administrators, basically anything additional that is not financially related. So basically anything that is out there that if an insurance company is operating, the market conduct examiners are looking at their operations and their management and everything kind of related in that bubble to see that they're doing the right things. Thanks, Holly, for helping us better understand what a market conduct examiner might review. Can you tell us a little bit about how those reviews are performed? Absolutely, Cheryl. I'm happy to. So there's a couple ways that market conduct exams are performed. And especially in today's environment, we've learned that a lot of market conduct exams can be performed remotely. So there are desk audits and on-site audits. So desk audits just mean exactly that, that market conduct examiners will be doing the audits at their desk, um, so remotely. 
And then on-site exams are when a company, when market conduct examiners actually go on-site to the companies and to either the company's main office or the company's operating offices. And then there's two different kinds of exams. So there are targeted exams and comprehensive exams. Targeted exams look specifically at different areas in market conduct. So say if there's problems or complaints that show that maybe there's some there's some concerns with how a company is paying their claims, there may be a targeted exam called just to look at claims payments. And then the comprehensive exam means that they'll be looking at basically everything that the company does from company operations and management to their underwriting, marketing, claims, and any considerations there in between. I think, Cheryl, something else that's really important to keep in mind with market conduct exams is market conduct exams are not done in a bubble. There's two different kinds of market conduct exams also within all of those buckets that I just talked about. So there's statutory exams, and then again, there's targeted exams. So statutory exams, because each state has a department of insurance, those, those departments of insurance every five to six years will go out and do a statutory exam of the insurers that are domiciled in their states. So that statutory exam is just required by the statutes to make sure that everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. And then there's also the targeted exams that are driven by concerns or complaints arising in the marketplace. So something that companies need to always keep in mind, and companies really do do a good job of keeping their thumb on the pulse of this, is that regulators talk to each other and regulators across the state talk to each other. So just because market conduct's done at a state level doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's operating in a bubble. Everybody kind of knows, the regulators know what's going on from state to state. So if suddenly you're seeing an uptick in complaints regarding something, that's going to trigger maybe a market conduct analysis. And then that analysis will trigger a potential market conduct exam. So there's things that are going on in the background that are monitoring the conduct of insurance companies to see what's going on. And, and, and if there's things that rise to a level of concern, that might trigger a market conduct exam. Something else that might trigger a market conduct exam is if a company is acquiring multiple companies. So from the perspective of a market conduct examiner, an acquisition is a good thing. However, sometimes systems break down in those acquisitions and policyholder services kind of suffer because maybe the systems weren't ready for the volume of information that's being changed or anything like that. And so because of that acquisition, problems might develop with how the company operates. And so market conduct examiners watch for that also. So if there's acquisitions, they might go in and just make sure that everything is operating in compliance with how it should. Thanks, Holly. I appreciate you commenting, especially on the it's not a one state, one bubble approach. So can you talk a little bit more just about how the process works? I know you mentioned market conduct exams and market analysis. Can you kind of walk us through the process itself so folks can understand like when a company receives a request, what it might look and feel like? Sure, absolutely. And that is kind of state centric. So first of all, let's start at the company level. So companies usually have an expert like Cheryl Davis to oversee their market conduct division. And they work directly with the regulators when a request comes in to clarify what that request is and to make sure that everything kind of moves along smoothly. The company also has personnel that are kind of watching day-to-day operations to make sure that there's compliance. So what happens is through those various mechanisms, either a statutory exam or something has come up that has, has risen to the level of concern where the regulators feel like a market conduct exam needs to be called, 
So then a letter is sent to the company just saying, hey, we're going to be in looking at your operations. Here's the areas that we're going to look at. And then we'll send a data request. So it's called a continuum. So those da- that data request is sent to the company. That data request is a very, very inclusive list of things that the regulators want to look at. And Cheryl, I'm sure from your perspective, you can, you can agree that there's, there's a lot of information that's included in that data request. So they'll ask for all kinds of different things, like your complaints, all the complaints that you've had, any policies that have canceled in the last you know, year, any claims that you've paid, the universal claims that you've paid in the last time frame. So that data request is sent to the company. Company goes through that data request and pulls all of the information that they have regarding this. Um, then there's a couple of things that happen with that. So the regulators review all of that information and then they either there's either a comprehensive review of the summaries or they do a sampling. And when I say a sampling, like when we request a universe of claims files, there's usually millions of claims files depending on the company. So obviously no one has the time or energy or effort or resources to look at millions of claims. So we will sample those millions of claims and pull out a standard sample size. So usually around 109 samples to 150 samples and look at those samples to see what's truly going on and get an idea of how the company is is processing claims, how they're doing anything. Also, when we look at anything like their claims, we also look at their processes and procedures. So are they doing what they say they're doing? And so their processes and procedures might look fantastic. But then when you look in application, they're not matching their processes and procedures. So there's a lot of moving parts that actually go into a market conduct review. You're just looking at everything that the company does. And then there's a lot that goes into it from a company perspective, because like Cheryl can attest to, they're gathering a lot of information. Um, There's constant communication between the company and the regulators to make sure that we're getting the right information to make sure that questions are understood and also just answering follow-up questions. So it is a it's a collaborative effort across the board, but it's a heavy lift on both sides because there's a lot of information that's being looked at. Thanks, Holly. Can you talk a little bit more about just how does a market conduct review end? Sure. There's a couple of ways that a market conduct review can end. And to simplify, it can end good or bad. So it depends on how the exam goes. In most instances, a market conduct exam ends with a final report being written and just recommendations and findings that had occurred during the market conduct exam. So in almost every instance, there's going to be findings. And when I say that, it's it's not that the insurance companies are bad operators. There's just things that happen, like maybe a notice wasn't sent in the time frame, or maybe a claim, maybe there was a delay in claims payment. There's just always something. But the report outlines kind of what the findings are and gives recommendations for process improvements for the company. Now, there are instances where there's some systemic problems that are identified through the market conduct exam. And in that case, a corrective action plan is usually implemented. And so what that corrective action plan means is that when you're reviewing, that the companies have to go back and actually do something to correct the problem. And then they have to report back to the states and to the regulators on what they're doing to implement those corrective actions and then how they're monitoring those corrective actions and what they're doing going forward. So for the most part, the report kind of triggers any kind of action that is going to occur. But so the market conduct exam really just ends with that report. And here's here's what we found, here's what needs to be done. And then again, there can there can be a corrective action Sometimes there's a fine. If the regulators find 
that there was a systemic risk that maybe the company knew about, they could potentially issue a fine or any kind of additional action to correct any of their, any concerns. Thanks, Holly. So I know early on you walked us through, you know, what is market conduct overall? What are the types of things that are reviewed? We learned how the reviews are performed and we talked through the process. Can you talk about what some of the hot topics are? Absolutely. I think that so something interesting that's happened over the last year, Cheryl, is a lot of the hot topics are the same from year to year. Everybody's always worried about cybersecurity. Climate risk is always a concern. But over the last year with COVID, there's been some additional concerns identified. And so COVID-19 is a huge, huge hot topic right now. And the reason being is throughout COVID-19, there were about 230 subregulatory guidance that came out or requirements. And when I say subregulatory guidance or requirements, what that means is states issued some kind of bulletin or they altered their statutes or some kind of statutory requirement that required either COVID-19 testing be covered, vaccinations be covered. So in the instance of property and casualty, there was rate decreases. So things like that. So COVID-19 and, and all of those subregulatory guidance requirements and in the implementation thereof, that's a huge hot topic right now. And we are yet to see kind of the after effects of that. So that's something that will be ongoing for a few years just because this is a, a brave new world and we have never experienced anything like that before. So the regulation of those requirements is a hot topic. Long-term care is always a hot topic because they want to make sure that people have access to long-term care, but rates for long-term care have gone up exponentially over the last several years. So there's an ongoing conversation about how to keep those rates down and how we can make long-term care kind of more widely available. There's also a big discussion right now about race and discrimination and access to coverage. So I think that's there's always been an underlying knowledge of discriminatory practices, but it's really, really, really come to light over the last year. And so there's a heightened focus of making sure that access to good health care, access to any kind of coverage, no matter whether it be property and casualty or life and health, that access isn't denied based on any kind of race or any kind of or any religion or anything like that. So there's no discriminatory practices. So regulators are working very hard to, I, regulators and companies both, I should say, are working very hard to make sure that they're mitigating those discriminatory practices and identifying those discriminatory practices to make sure that everybody has access to coverage where they should have it. I said climate risk. Climate risk is always a concern. Uh, we're seeing all kinds of strange things across the country. And I think we saw this in Texas. Texas had a historical snowstorm. And I'm in Nebraska. While Texas was having a snowstorm, it was 70 degrees in Nebraska. So just all of this really strange climate risk and how is it covered from an insurance perspective and how do we monitor it to make sure that rates are appropriate, that coverage is appropriate. Another big thing that's a really big hot topic is pharmacy benefit managers. That's a big discussion going on at the NEIC level. And yesterday they approved the draft for the Pharmacy Benefit Manager Oversight Act. And so a lot of discussion about pharmacy benefit managers and mental health parity is also a huge discussion. So mental health parity, there's always a concern of making sure that people have access to those mental health services 
and that concern continues to grow. So I think those discussions continue. And then the oversight of practices to ensure that mental health is, is available continues to grow also. One of the last things is big data. So when I say big data, insurance companies, regulators, and, and just, uh, just across the board collect a lot of data. And that data is very telling. There's, there's health data, there's health information, there's financial information, there's personal health information. You know, it's just a lot of identifying factors. And so what can look at what can we do with that data? So for example, I was talking about claims. And when you get claims, you get 10 million claims. There's a lot of data in those 10 million claims. So really, how do you mine that data usefully to identify kind of trends and to help the future of regulation, but to help insurance companies operate more smoothly also. So those are a lot of the big hot topics right now. Again, that's always kind of, it's interesting because it's always evolving. There's always additional things that are added, but also there's some things that are just consistently a concern and that we look at from year to year. Thanks, Holly. So I know the goal of the AICP podcast is to provide, you know, some high level information as far as differing or a variety or of hot topics or compliance topics that are out there. If someone's interested in learning more about market conduct after hearing this, where would you recommend they go? I think, Cheryl, the NEIC, is, which is the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, is a great resource. And let me back up a bit to kind of explain what the National Association of Insurance Commissioners does. So when I say that all states regulate their own insurance industry, there is um, some kind of consistency that's lent through the states through the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. So the National Association of Insurance Commissioners acts as an organization that promotes uniformity between these states. So they act as a liaison between the states. They spearhead a lot of initiatives that are coming and help the states kind of get on the same page so there's uniformity in regulation. So the National Association of Insurance Commissioners is a great resource for market conduct. And their market conduct division specifically is the D committee. And so D committee focuses, uh, focuses directly on market conduct. AICP also has some great resources. And, and when I say resources, they have some great podcasts. They have some great presentations that have occurred. They have people that are very, very knowledgeable in market conduct. For example, Cheryl, like you are in the weeds in market conduct with your company. And there's a lot of other people with AICP that have that great, great experience. So I think that there's multiple resources there. Thanks, Holly. Is there anything else you want to touch on from a market conduct perspective for our podcast today? I think so market conduct is just a really interesting beast because people aren't familiar with it. And it seems like a really gray area. But to me, it's fascinating because it really truly is all of the metadata and all of the interactions and interoperations of a company and what they're doing in the market, in the, in the insurance arena. So while people don't even realize what market conduct is and they don't realize that there's market conduct examiners, they don't realize kind of how it plays into the marketplace. It really is a big puzzle for me. It's almost an investigation where it's a puzzle and you know, you're just kind of putting together all of the pieces of what the companies are doing. So I think it's also really important to know that it's not people when market conduct examiners come in, company people get really nervous because, you know, I, people are going to point out that something's wrong. But I don't really ever see it as I don't see it as punitive. I see it more of an, an opportunity for betterment for the company, because when companies are 
operating, they do things on a daily basis, you know, that you don't even think about. This is just how we've always done it, right? But from a market conduct perspective, we're looking at it from fresh eyes and also looking at it from things that we've seen across the country with other companies and saying, hey, here's an opportunity for you to maybe do things better. So I think that mindset of market conduct being bad, I think is unfortunate because that automatically puts up walls between the companies and the regulators when it should just be kind of a collaborative process of, hey, there's probably going to be something wrong, but we're going to help you find what's wrong and help you figure out how to make this better for the longevity and for the betterment of your company. Thanks, Holly. I think that find it and fix it kind of approach, especially with where you started explaining the difference between the financial regulation side that kind of looks at that solvency risk management, kind of those back office functions versus market conduct, which is really focused on, you know, company interactions with consumers. Anything else before we wrap up today? Cheryl, I don't think so. I really appreciate the opportunity to discuss this. I'm one of those really odd people that's very, very passionate about market conduct. I find it interesting and fascinating and it ties to everything in the insurance industry. And it's not the financial things. It's all the other things that you're looking at. So I really appreciate the opportunity to speak about this. So I want to thank AICP and yourself for inviting me to do this. Well, thanks, Holly. I do appreciate you making time and agreeing to do the session with me. I know sometimes folks probably think I talk them into things, but I think you have a fantastic background and can provide a great perspective on this topic. So thank you. Thank you.